I'm going to read one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, in fact, I guess if you've looked at my uh, database of sermons, this is probably the most frequently preached passage. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke chapter 15, and verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had come. This part always messes me up. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Noticed he didn't finish his well-rehearsed speech. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and let us be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Somebody say praise the Lord. It is okay for church to be a happy place. Somebody say praise the Lord. I said it is Entirely correct for church to be a place where we can begin to be married in the Father's house. So would you just for a minute just rejoice in what the Lord has done for you. If He filled you with the Holy Ghost, if He's healed your body, if He blessed you and provided, take a moment and begin to be married. Lord, we praise you today. Lord, I thank you for what we're about to experience Lord, I praise you. I can't praise you enough. Lord, you've been good. Lord, you made a way where there was no way. Lord, there are miracles standing before me today. And I give you praise for it. We got the best robe on. We got a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet. And Lord, you prepared for us a table in the presence of our enemies. We praise you for it. We give you honor, Lord, for your word. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm going to help the preacher preach today. Amen. 
This story is really God's story about himself, about who he is and what he's come to do for all of us. Some people talk about this story of the two sons. It is labeled in study the story of the prodigal son. But this is not a story about two boys. This is a story about our Heavenly Father. This is evidence of how He responds in particular needs. We find in Luke chapter 15 three lost things. A lost coin, a lost lamb, and a lost son. And the Father responds in different ways to the differences in each lost thing. But in the story of these two boys, we see how God deals with uh, what has transpired. There's so much in this story. And let me say, since I know what I'll be focusing on today, let me focus just for a moment uh, and speak to what this story speaks to in Luke 15. I didn't read it. And I'm not going to take the time to preach about it today. It's, it's a subject for another day. But let me say to all the older sons, the older brothers sitting here today, you better check your spirit. You better check your attitude and check what spirit you are of when your attendance to the party is overshadowed by the thought of dad hugging that filthy, dirty, smelly, emaciated brother of yours. Because someday that may be your child. And isn't that the point? It's hard to kiss and hug a dirty brother. But it's not hard to kiss and hug a dirty son. That's my boy. Let me also say at the outset of how embarrassing I know altar calls are. I know it's tough going to put your foot out in the aisle and pass by your friends and your acquaintances and your church friends and your folks you go to uh, service with every Sunday and maybe every Wednesday. I understand it's embarrassing to step out and say, I need this today. I need God today. That preacher's talking to me. You have to pass up cold people. You have to pass up disinterested people. You have to get to a place where you say, I don't care what anybody else does or what they think. There is a meeting place that I'm going to find with God. Oh, somebody clap your hands under the Lord if you're thankful. There's a place to meet with God. But I have to admit, as we delve into Luke 15 again, that the thing that keeps rising in my spirit the more I read it and the more I preach it is I want to. This is what I receive out of Luke 15, the story of these two boys. This is what rises up in my heart, and it's this. I want to be more like the Father in this story. So with that in mind, 
Let's examine once again this boy. We call him the younger. What was that son like? Some call him insolent. Some call him a father's heartbreak. Some may call him an accident waiting to happen. Some might even say about him, I always knew there was something strange about him. I'm not surprised that I saw that on Facebook. I always knew there was something about that guy. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never intimates that. In fact, it says nothing about this son being a worry to his father or his mother. We don't find in the story where dad's concerned about the younger one's faithfulness or his track record. In fact, we find that if this son was a loser or unfaithful, then I'm sure dad was more than a fool to give that boy what he gave him. For dad settled half of the family fortune and put it into the pocket of this younger boy. So it appears that the father had a great deal of confidence in his boys because he, by request, parted his living. And to one boy he gave half, and to the other boy he gave half. In fact, dad must have felt like his son had some talent. There's no hesitation in the father passing out the entire family fortune. The way I have come to know the father in this story, I see that same optimism repeated in the lives of the people that are gathered here today before me. In fact, when the world looked at you, there may have been some folks that said, I always knew there was something strange about that cat. But I want to tell you, that's not what the father saw. Oh, come on, anybody glad you're filled with the Holy Ghost today? Anybody glad you've got half the inheritance before you deserved it? Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord today. Oh, come on, praise him right now. I, I feel his presence speaking to us. I, I want to tell you, you've got half the inheritance. I don't, I don't want to make this the focus of the sermon, but Paul said we have the earnest of our inheritance. In other words, you just have the down payment. When you were filled with the Holy Ghost, it's like your father said, I can't give it all to you, but I'm going to give you a little portion of the whole kingdom. <laughs> Dad put something in your pocket that nobody else felt you deserved. You were lost, but he found you. You were blind, but he healed your blind eyes. Oh, anybody thankful for salvation in your life? Come on, I want to tell you, some of you, he brought you a mighty long way. Some of you, your lives were a wreck, and society said there's no hope. But I want to tell you, the Father saw something in you. One of the most exciting scriptures I read is in Acts, and the Bible tells us there's a great dispute among the disciples. Now, isn't it amazing that in one of the greatest and most tumultuous times in the early church, we find rays of hope and rays of faith 
For there's a dispute about these Gentiles, whether they're worthy or not. They're not Jews. They're dirty people. But three times in that dispute and that general conference, it is brought to the attention of those that are attending who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we No, you didn't hear me. That says that those apostles recognized that if God could fill them with the Holy Ghost, I don't care what your opinion is. Oh. It doesn't matter what your opinion is of them. God called them out of darkness and God filled them with his spirit. For this, we ought to praise him today. For this, we ought to give God a hand clap of praise this morning. Think about it. Think about those people who disappoint you. Think about God filling them with the Holy Ghost. And God gave them half the inheritance knowing the mistakes they would make. They get on your nerves, but they receive the Holy Ghost just like you did. Think about all those people you can't stand or those you're not willing willing to let up off the mat. Forgiveness is good enough for you, but it's not good enough for them. Think about what God put in them and you think they don't deserve it. Uh-oh. Papa's right when it's it gets quiet when you're plowing deep. <laughs> Well, I deserve forgiveness and my kids deserve forgiveness, but nobody else does. God filled them with the Holy Ghost just like he did you. (laughs) And it's wrong to jump on this boy and beat him and kick him. But the father never acted this way. I want to act more like him. He had made mistakes. In fact, nearly fatal ones. They cost him heavily. He lost his way, but so have multitudes of people. He discovered vultures that know how to pick an innocent person clean. He recognized who true friends were and who they weren't. He learned how quickly the world can devour half the family fortune. No, you're not hearing me. That boy learned how fast that half the inheritance can be wasted. He got trapped. He thought seducers were saints. He got confused because he thought they loved God, but they didn't. And somebody promised to help him, but they didn't help him. And he found himself in a cycle of losing that he all of a sudden got real desperate to repair, but he couldn't repair it. Try as he may, he kept losing And like a gambler down to his last few dollars, he's in too far now to quit. And he's embarrassed and he never thought he would get that far. But he just can't stop now because he's lost everything. I want to tell you that story repeats itself. And that's why it's in the Bible. You know why it's in the Bible? Because you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking I'm too far gone for it to really matter. And none of my decisions are going to make any difference. I'm a desperate case. I'm a losing hope. There's nothing for me to stand on, but I'm here to preach to you that there's a father that's watching for you. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. (laughs) 
And let me say this with as much love as I got, and I hope I've got enough. Let me say this to you. I had no idea who was going to walk in this room. So if you feel like I'm preaching to you, it's because God knew you were coming. It's a story that repeats itself over and over and over. The young are always confident that they can play the game smarter than the previous generation. (laughs) Oh, I know mom and dad issued the warning, but I'm smarter than they are. I know they made mistakes, but I'm smarter than they are. Let me tell you something. If you want to listen to any part of this sermon, turn to your neighbor and tell them, listen up. (laughs) I'm fixing to drop some wisdom on you, and here it is. I know now, I know now, 90% less than I did when I was 18. No, you didn't hear me. I said I know 90% less now than I did when I was 18. You know why? Because I had all the answers then. I wasn't going to make that mistake or do that or do this or do that. And I had it all figured out. But it doesn't take long to spend everything you've got. It doesn't take long for you to realize all those nice little answers don't fit the questions anymore. As much as you thought you had it all figured out, I'm telling you today, it doesn't take long to spend. That's a quick pace. One drink calls for another. One hand of cards anchors you to the game and you can't get out. A few late hours call for more late hours and before you know it, you were caught. Say what you want to about when this boy should have awakened and went home. But the fact of the matter is he probably thought at any moment I can extricate myself from this situation. But the fact is he didn't. And you're sitting here today and you say, well, I know I'm cold. I know I need to pray through, but, but I'm waiting for that right moment. And you don't realize that you're spending and you're spending quickly. All of us wish that on the first night away, the boy would have awakened and said, Oh, no, this is not what I thought it would be. But night follows night, and debt produces debt, and good money is thrown after bad money, and lies pound into the brain, and begin, you begin to believe them. You begin to think you're worthless, and you just made an effort, and it fell apart, and you begin to drift. And what the Scripture says, the Father says, He began to perish with hunger there's the tantalizing bait that a little farther along it's going to be better I know I'm not doing too good now but it's going to get better preacher play one more hand and I'm going to recoup my losses someday I'm going to get it back but he's just getting more hungry and more hungry These friends I've met, preacher, are much more compassionate than my friends at church. (laughs) Yet you get deeper and deeper and realize you're losing more and more. And at some point you wish you were back, but you were either too ashamed or too proud to turn around. You were out to prove something, and you will. You'll prove it. You will prove once again that the far country isn't what it was advertised to be. 
you'll prove that that strange land that was so enticing, it wasn't what it was advertised to be. You'll prove that the bottle doesn't advertise the hangover and the broken life. You'll prove that the pharmaceuticals do not advertise the habit you're in. You'll prove that tobacco doesn't advertise the cough you've got. But you'll prove once again that that far country is not what it was advertised to be. And I hurry to a close. And for our guests today, there may be three or four of them. Closings, that is. It's hard to take advice. (laughs) Somebody say amen. It's real hard to take advice. That usually doesn't come until you're a little older. Who needs it? Advice, that is. You can pay your own way. You can hold your own in any company. You don't, you know, you, you, can, you can sit in a service or go to the club. It doesn't matter. You just kind of fit in wherever. You don't need any advice. You don't need anybody telling you. But all of a sudden, and you think it won't affect me, one day it's going to all be different. But that, that path your own becomes a rut that is caked and hardened by previous generations. There's many that have passed that way. It happened a lot. Abraham's nephew, he came back. Think about it. Lot. He came back, yes, but with just the clothes on his back, everything else was gone. It happened to Samson. He made it back home with one last tug. But remember, he's blind and he's the object of a bleacher full of catcalls. There are more famines than you care to admit. There's the famine of feeling. I've seen it in churches. Jesus saw it there. When he went to the graveyard, he told people, these people aren't dead. They're they're asleep. But when he went in the synagogue, he said, now here's where the dead folks are. He saw them in church, not in the graveyard. He saw the dead in the house of worship. I see them on Sundays. More famines than you care to admit. The famine of not food, but feeling. You're here today and you've got the Holy Ghost. You've been born again, but you're in a famine. You don't, you, you get so numb that you number yourself really with the walking dead. You, we can experience a service like we had here. Just an example last Sunday where God just moves in a wonderful way and you're numb. The famine of spirit. Everybody say spirit. You're spiritually in a famine. It's amazing to me that Eli, the old priest, he told a 12-year-old boy. Listen, the old priest told a 12-year-old boy, God used to speak to me, but he doesn't talk any longer. There's a famine. There's somebody that needs a spiritual renewal. Somebody say amen. So this boy in this state of famine 
he had said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Give me the portion of goods that is rightfully mine. You know what that says? That says I'm responsible for that portion of goods that is rightfully mine. Somebody say amen. I'm responsible for that portion of goods that are right, that falleth to me. Well, what is that? Well, let me say to you that I didn't just accidentally find a pulpit and start preaching. No, it was a long way from 18 to here. I want to tell you the portion of goods that falleth to me. The first thing I'm reminded of is my mother's prayers. I remember her praying right outside my bedroom, Lord, if my children are not going to serve you, I'd just rather you take them tonight. And I was praying, please God, don't kill me tonight. I was raised in a revival church. An awesome pastor and pastor's wife. I had Sunday school teachers that I'd get nervous when they'd break down and begin to weep in front of that class calling us to prayer. I remember prayer warriors that used to pray for me in the altar service. Every service their breath was horrible. I can still smell it, but I needed God worse than they needed a breath mint. I remember Bible teaching and revival services and I understand that I'm responsible for the portion of goods that have fallen to me. Now I will say this, that when you start thinking about what has fallen to you, it's easy to go to the negative. Yes, I understand that our lives are full of traumatic events and things that are negatives and things that should draw us away. But God has deposited a good portion of inheritance. Yeah. Yes. My dad died hemorrhaging for two days, crawling around in a condo and didn't have a phone to call any help. And there was obviously a sense of desperation. Nine liters empty of J&B Scotch whiskey in that apartment. And he died on the floor in that kitchen, a drunk man. Yes, we all have enough horror to think about the portion of goods. But I want to tell you what my heavenly father gave me is much more precious than all these things. I'm preaching to people that's been abused, that's been abandoned, that's been hurt. But I want to tell you, God has a portion that He wants to give you. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. In fact, let me be a pastor just for a moment. Let me say to you, while you're focusing on the negative portion that life has brought you, while you keep testifying about all the horror that you've experienced and blaming your behavior on what happened, why don't you grasp for a moment how much your heavenly Father has done for you? 
At what moment does heavenly things trump earthly things? At what moment does what he gave me, at what moment is it better than what I've received? Yeah, you know what this says? It says, I'm responsible for my portion of goods. Have you ever thought, has it ever crossed your mind? I have received so much and accomplished so little. When I start thinking about all God's done for me, I keep thinking there's a lot more I need to do. There's that moment when you are stunned when you realize you don't have anything left. This boy got there. I don't have one friend. I can't draw one sober breath. I can't think one clean thought. You look at the wreckage of your life and you realize it's all gone. You have squandered everything. Wasted everything. The lowest point in this boy's life had to be when his friend sent him into the field to feed pigs. He's a Jew. This is the worst job there is, feeding swine. You know what that means? Sin will not only ruin you, it'll mock you while it does it. You'll do things you know are wrong. You'll make deals with those you know you cannot trust. It's a far country. And if you think serving in dad's house was bad, think about what you're serving now. No, no. I'm going to say that again. If you think serving in dad's house is boring, think about what you're serving now. That that you're serving now is laughing at you. Look at that dedicated boy out there feeding those pigs. And all you're hoping for is one more meal while behind their, their hands they're laughing at the situation you're in. There's no dignity left. But there was something in this boy that the hunger nor the hogs could erase. I said there was something in this boy that neither the hunger nor the hogs could erase. And thank God for that wonderful moment when you get your eyes opened. Everybody okay? Yeah. So if you want to title this message, you just title it, What the Hunger and the Hogs Can't Erase. We all get to that point where we're desperate. You realize how false the whole journey has been. Hell doesn't like it. They want to keep you in your seat. They don't want you coming to the altar. But hell can't stop the message that's found in Luke 15 verse 17. If they put it up there, Luke 15 verse 17, hell doesn't like it, but hell can't stop it. And Luke 15 17 says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough in despair and I perish with hunger. There are not enough devils in hell to erase that message out of your Bible. In the father's house, there's plenty of bread. You're starving, but I know where the bread is. 
you're hungry, but let me tell you about Jesus. Come on, your job can't do it. Come on, a new husband can't do it. Come on, new friends can't do it. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. And in that moment, the boy said, I will arise and go. And you know as well as I do, it's not in there. You can read the story, and it's not in there. But you know what happens. Brother Kevin, when this boy says, I will get up and I will go. Miles disappeared. No, you didn't hear me. I said the distance melted. Let me just let me just give you a good example. She's here today. Joyce has been in Florida. If you can't tell, just greet her after service. Good to have you back home, Joyce. We're glad you're here. But you know what? When you make up your mind to go to Florida. It doesn't matter how far it is. We're going. When you make up your mind to go to Louisiana, hey, most of the journey is between your ears. This boy said, I will arise and go. Let me tell you how I know that. It may not be in completely uh, accurate when you say well oh, but that's still a long drive absolutely but you know as well as I do in the spirit that the moment you say I'm going back to my father that what really matters is it's only one step from where you are to the grace of God You know what I'm remembering? I'm remembering standing in that pew with my friends and making that one step. The first step was the hardest. But the minute I made one step, it was almost like the Father was pulling me. It was almost like I didn't care what anybody else thought. You're just one step away from provision. You're just one step away from the grace of God cleansing you. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. One step. One step. Yeah. Sure, there, there's an audience. Sure, there's lots of people. It doesn't tell us that either in Luke 15, what, how crowded the road was. Did he run into any friends? Did he run into anybody he used to know? But he was headed home. Somebody might ask him, where are you going in such a hurry? I'm going home. Sure, there's an audience. There always will be. Hell, make sure there's people watching. You're headed back home. So the streets are going to be lined with people who are trying to keep you. The same folks who welcomed you to this far country, now they're going to say to you, you're too dirty to go back home. 
You've gone too far for him to ever welcome you back. Oh, I'm preaching to you today. They'll suggest that what you need is to be quarantined. They'll convince you that your father does not want you now. He wanted you when everything was all right. He's moved on. And you're a liability to his business. You'll spoil everything. You're going to upset people. But I want to tell you, you just keep on going. Because you're about to be shocked at how the father responds to dirty, stinking, filthy boys. Don't stop. Head right on through them. Don't worry about what they're saying. You're, you're the expert now. No, you didn't hear me. I said what they're saying, don't you even listen to it. Because you're the expert. This boy's now the expert. You know how I know? Hell doesn't have one more thing to teach him. And while they're saying, no, you don't want to do that. No, you don't want to go back home. This boy knows. Uh-uh. I know enough about hell to know I don't want to live there. No, you're not hearing me. You've got to get sick of where you're living. Don't listen to them. You're the expert. You'll pass them in the road. You'll pass them in the road, still got money in their bag and dreams in their eyes. And they're headed for a strange country too. And they'll tell you, hey, go with us. We're going to go have a good time. But you're the expert now. You know where that road ends. (laughs) Hell doesn't have anything to teach you. You've learned by personal experience somewhere in the journey. Somewhere in the journey you'll see help headed your way. Luke 15, 20. Somewhere in the journey, Luke 15, 20, you're going to see help headed your way. And he arose and was coming to his father. Made up his mind, I'm going to my father. But when he was a long way off, his father saw him. He loved him and he ran. I want to tell you, help's coming your way. You make one step. (laughs) Oh, just lift up your hands right now. I know this is not for everybody, but there's somebody struggling, somebody in the road, and you're not sure which way to turn. Preacher's reaching for you today. Holy Ghost, do your work. Now, Lord, so count on it, one foot in the aisle, headed toward the altar. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find company leading you home. Paul said we're surrounded by an innumerable company of angels The spirits of just men made perfect. You say, well, nobody will take my hand and go with me. No, but I want to tell you something. The minute you step in that aisle, there's going to be some traveling companions going with you. You're going the right way. And I close. I want them to get Luke 15, verse 18 and 19. I want to say one more thing as I close. And for the record, it's only the second one. It doesn't, you say, well, I've tried all that. 
let me say to you today, it doesn't take long to settle accounts. I, I don't care how dirty it got. It doesn't take long to settle accounts. So let's do this little exercise. Luke chapter 15, verse 18. He said, this is what he said, I will rise, go to my father, and will say to my father, Father, I've sinned, and no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That was his speech. So I want you to do something with me. Somebody get a phone. You got a phone there, Brother Blake? Set your phone. I know you're in the spirit, but I'm going to need you to do something. I'm going to need you to set a timer. I'm going to need you to time me. I'm going to need you to time me. And I'll tell you when to go. Are you ready? Okay, go. Father, I have sinned and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Stop. How long did that take? Eight seconds. You know what I, you know what I just said? It doesn't take long to settle accounts with your father. It took me eight seconds to say, Father, I'm not worthy, but I'm better off in your house. Eight seconds. It doesn't take two years. It doesn't take a lifetime. It takes eight seconds for you to say, Father, forgive me. I'm coming home. Come on, get up on your feet right now. Come on. Eight seconds. You've got it. Come on, right now. The altar's open. You can make yourself right with God in eight seconds flat. Come on. Come on, the altar's open. Somebody right now that needs him. Somebody right now that needs to set the record straight. Come on. Come on, step out now. Come on, young person, step out now. Come on, eight seconds.